I'm part Swedish, Scottish, and German. No, I'm not talking about my allegiance for uh, the World Cup of Soccer uh, 2018, um, or a sport that other countries perhaps more logically call football. <laughs> I'm talking about my ancestry. How much do you know about your ancestors? Genealogy has become a popular hobby for many people. They want to know what their ancestors were like where they came from, uh, where they lived, how they lived, what they did. They want to know the larger story that their individual lives are part of. There was a time when genealogy research required uh, lengthy walks through cemeteries or hours after hours uh, in uh, a, an archive area of, of a courtroom. But now with the internet, so many historical records are available to us at our fingertips, and we can access them from the comfort of our own home. We can learn many interesting and important things uh, from those who have gone before us. Some of what we learn helps us make more sense of who we are. So by better understanding our ancestors, we can actually better understand ourselves. Uh, that's true for our family tree in a biological sense, our biological family. And it's also true for our family tree in a spiritual sense. We can learn a great deal from our ancestors in the faith. And what we can learn gives us a better understanding of not just who they were, but of who we are and how we are called to live. Today we continue our series uh, called King Jesus and His People. This series is taking us through the book of Acts, the uh, first history book about the life of the church. And there in the book of Acts, we read, I think, some very interesting and at times unusual things about our ancestors in the faith, about what they believed, about what they committed themselves to, about how they ordered their lives together. And we can also learn about what we are called to do and to be together today. Acts gives us unique insight into the Christian movement as it began and developed into a world-changing force. Uh, today, over 2 billion of the world's nearly 7 billion people, that's a little bit under one out of every three people living on earth, belong to this family of faith. Followers of Jesus today are part of Christianity's family tree that is 2,000 years old and still growing and active. Its, its branches are alive and are reaching and already are part of so many of the countries throughout the world uh, today. And its roots go back, way back, deep into our Earth's soil. In fact, all the way back to the very creation of the world. That's how far back our heritage as the people of God extends. And that is some heritage for you and me to have and to be part of today. The book of Acts describes our heritage as Christians. It tells us who we are and where we've come from and also how we're called to live in our day. This morning's reading can help us discover and pursue the life we were created to live. People often ask, maybe not aloud, but at least in their own hearts, who am I and what's my purpose? Have you ever wondered that about yourself? 
think we all have. Who am I? What's my purpose? Today's scripture reading gives us answers. The early Christians devoted themselves to the Lord, and their example displays at least four marks of the kind of life God wants us to live. This is who we are and who we're called to be, what we're called to pursue. First, gather, gather. Uh, we live in an increasingly interconnected world, yet our society is facing what has been called a pandemic of loneliness. There's a paradox here. Never have we been more connected as Americans, think for example social media, and yet study after study shows that never have we felt lonelier. In May, a global health service company released results from a national survey exploring the impact of loneliness in the United States. The survey revealed that most American adults, ages 18 and up, are considered lonely. Based on this survey, researchers conclude that only around half of Americans have meaningful in-person social interactions, such as having an extended conversation with a friend or spending quality time with a family member on a daily basis. 40% reported that they lack meaningful relationships. They lack companionship, even. And they experience feelings of isolation. At a time when most in our society are considered lonely, it's important for us to remember who we are as the church. That the church is the people. That we are people different from various backgrounds, united under the cross of Jesus Christ, in whom we are one. We are one body. And that means no member goes it alone, or at least God doesn't want anyone to go it alone. Paul, who was an early follower of Jesus, tells us, carry one another's burdens, and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. That's our vision, our calling as the church, to carry one another's burdens. You know, we all have them, different ways and in different periods of our lives. What would it mean to be part of a community that cared about one another so deeply that these people carried one another's burdens? That's who we're called to be. Do we always get it right as a church? No, sadly we don't. But the good news is we can learn, we can grow more and more to become this kind of community that God has in mind. Because the church, after all, is God's idea. And it's all about friendship with God, first of all, and then friendship with other people. Because as, as we relate more and more closely to God, invariably our, our relationships around us will be impacted and for the good. Our family relationships, our work relationships, relationships with friends, relationships with those out in the community, and certainly relationships with one another in the church ought to be enriched by our relationship with God, our friendship with God. And, and those kinds of friendships are the answer to loneliness. It's what we as a society uh, crave, what we long for. And there's nothing wrong with social media, but that is so superficial. That doesn't go deep enough for the kind of life God has created us to live, which is a life of genuine community with 
one another, not merely through some sort of virtual or electronic connection, but face to face. The early Christians gathered regularly. They came together in the temple courts, which was a place of worship, and they came together in their homes. Uh, They broke bread and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The first lesson we can learn from the early Christians is to gather regularly. Second, worship. The early church was committed to the worship of God. Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, to life together. And at the heart of that life was worship. They made worship the priority it deserves to be. This was at a time when people could be persecuted for their faith, and many were. In a similar way, many Christians around the world today face the threat of persecution simply for following Jesus. It's so hard for us to grasp. I I don't think I can grasp this. But our act of coming together in public worship today in this place, if we had done this in another country, and not just a few, but dozens and dozens of countries around the world, our lives would be at risk. We would be in danger. And yet what we see, not just in the book of Acts, but even today, is the amazing extraordinary faithfulness and commitment of so many of these Christians. Such commitment. In the U.S., we can take for granted that we have the freedom to worship God without fear of penalty. But we're so often distracted by all the other things we could be doing that we sometimes forget what worship's all about. And, and, and think of worship you know, as maybe an optional extra, a nice thing to do if we don't have anything else more important going on rather than actually building our lives on the foundation of worship, having it be the cornerstone of our weekly routine. Coming together to worship God is is primarily about God, but there are clear benefits that we receive as well. And one of those benefits is is a, a greater social bond or connection or unity that we experience with one another. And this certainly has been my my experience in, in various church settings over the course of my life, and, and there's no perfect church and we're all a work in progress, but I hope that whatever churches you might have been part of before, and certainly I hope that here in this church, you get a glimpse of this kind of, uh, of, of a strengthening of the bonds we share in Christ with one another. And how coming together in worship promotes those bonds. Our society today is fragmented and deeply divided. But nothing brings people together like worship. In worship, we gather before the Lord. In in Jesus, we're one through his cross. All the barriers that would keep us from fellowship with God and fellowship with, uh, with others, all those barriers are overcome. They've been broken down. Gender, ethnicity, class, social standing, they don't have to define us. You know, we're, we're very good as a society at putting labels on people and, and thinking, well, oh, this person fits in this category, is from this kind of a place, has this kind of a job, thinks this sort of way. And there could be value in that kind of approach. But when it comes to life together, we are people. And there's a complexity there, and we're so much more than our labels. And I thank God that this is true. I know it's true how worship can bring people together who otherwise wouldn't be together by nature because I'm from Red Lion. 
as I might have mentioned a couple times to some of you. And here I am serving a church in the Dallas Town School District, and you have not yet run me out of town. In fact, we have two people on our staff who are from Red Lion, because Luke is from Red Lion too, and you can give him a hard time about that. Amazing, extraordinary, and you know, suddenly these, these differences that we think in our own ways are so important just kind of uh, come into their proper perspective as we remember what it's about, that we are the body of Christ. And that what defines us is something greater than any of these other labels, that we're one in Jesus. And we celebrate that unity in a special way each time we gather in worship. We have such a a rich and broad and deep heritage as, uh, as, as the body of Christ. And that heritage certainly includes the early church, like the ones we read about in our passage for this morning. It also includes those Christians who have gone before us more recently. This church, this congregation that we now call Spry Church began in 1860. In 2010, we celebrated our 150th anniversary. And I just think that's amazing. That for 150 years, I mean, we're part of a, of a community of faith, a family, that for over 150 years has existed to serve Jesus Christ, to serve our community. I mean, we're talking about generation after generation, and, and, and it's this local community, let alone the broader Christian church, which goes back so much further. 150 years. And in 2010, we had this great celebration of our 150th anniversary. Now we're well on our way to the next 150 years. And by the way, if any of you would like to be on the planning committee for our 300th <laughs> anniversary, just contact the church office. You have plenty of time to decide. Seriously, think about the setting in our nation's life when this congregation began. 1860 was a time of tremendous uncertainty and social unrest. The nation was so bitterly divided that it was on the brink of civil war. A colleague of mine uh, told me when he found out the church he was serving, also in York County, uh, had begun in 1863. He, he joked with his congregation that uh, their ancestors in that place heard General Lee and the Confederate Army might head north, so they decided to start a church. <laughs> they, they must have thought, now's a good time to devote ourselves to prayer and worship. We see heated divisions in our time, too. I, I don't know that there's ever been a time where there haven't been heated divisions. It seems like sometimes things are spiraling out of control in our day, and, and, and maybe it's helpful for you. It's helpful for me to, every once in a while to take a, a step back and get a sense of perspective. It's never been easy. There have always been uh, divisions, and some of them quite heated. But imagine what the effects could be if, as we look around and see the heated divisions of our time, we would also see a counteracting force, something that, that was more powerful than those divisions, a, a, a renewed commitment to the worship of God. Wow. Imagine. Imagine the flames of revival spreading across our land. It's happened before, generations before ours. It can happen again. And my prayer is, God, would you do it again? During a time of, 
uh, social upheaval and conflict, the early followers of Jesus, they came together regularly to worship the Lord. It was not easy to be faithful at that time. I think however difficult it might be in our day, it was even more difficult for the early Christians. And what did they do? They didn't shrink away in fear. They committed themselves to coming together regularly, to worshiping God faithfully. And Luke tells us people were filled with awe at God's mighty works. They prayed with one another as well as in private. They broke bread together in community, likely a reference to the Lord's Supper that they would share in together. They worshiped God faithfully. And it was in worship that they found their strength renewed, their spirits uplifted, and their hope confirmed. We all face big questions in life. Questions like, who am I? And what's my purpose? Our approach to these questions helps determine how we live and what we pursue. The way we answer reveals what we believe about who we are and what really matters. The early Christians found their true identity and their deepest purpose in Jesus. They ordered their lives accordingly. They committed themselves to what Luke calls the apostles' teaching. The word apostle means sent one. The apostles were those who were eyewitnesses to the life and ministry of Jesus. And then, after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, he sent them. They were the sent ones, sent into the world to tell others what they had seen and heard. And the apostles' teaching didn't originate with them. <laughs> it started with Jesus. It was all about Jesus. This teaching included all that Jesus himself taught, especially the gospel centered in his death, burial, and resurrection. It was a unique teaching that came from God and was clothed with the authority conferred on the apostles. And the good news for us today is that same teaching is available to you and me. Did you know that? It's available to us. God makes it available to us through the books of the New Testament and in summary form through statements like the Apostles' Creed. In that affirmation of our faith, and we say it regularly here in worship, one of the lines we say to me stands out on this topic. We say, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. And you might have noticed that the word Catholic there in that phrase is lowercase. Capital Catholic refers to the Roman Catholic Church, which is one of the, the branches in the Christian family tree. But lowercase, the word Catholic means universal. It means, in other words, throughout time and space, reaching far to the ends of the earth as the Church of Jesus Christ does. And it's a reminder of how the Church of Jesus stretches across time and space and how we are part of the worldwide body of Christ. And that is central to our identity. If we are in Christ, we are marked. We belong to him. We are part of the body of Christ, the presence of Jesus in the world. From the early Christians, we can learn at least four things about the kind of life Jesus then calls us to live. 
as his body. And we've already talked briefly about the first two, gather, worship. The third, love. Gather, worship, and now third, love. When someone asked Jesus which command was the greatest, he responded, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. For us to follow Jesus, the way is love. Love for God and love for others. But love is more than mere feelings or emotions. Love does. Love makes actual demands on us. Love gives, love serves, love sacrifices. It calls for our devotion, for our hearts. Love is about a daily decision to pursue what's good, true, and beautiful, even when we don't feel like it. It's the power of love. I'm struck by the description Luke gives us in this morning's passage of the way the early Christians loved one another. I don't know if the world has ever seen anything like this. Listen to what he says. They sold whatever they owned and combined their resources so that each person's need was met. Wow. Now this was a voluntary sharing to provide for those who didn't have enough for the essentials of living. What would possibly compel them to do this? I mean, you know, we're so used to like drawing boundaries around ourselves today and me mine my space my resources mine and yet here the early christians are just giving so lavishly to one another to meet every need why love because they loved god they loved one another deeply and they shared life together in this way they truly loved one another. That love leads to a fourth mark of Christian community. Then and now. Welcome. Welcome. The early Christians showed extraordinary hospitality, not just to one another, but to others around them. And their love for one another was so genuine that it had almost a magnetic power. People saw that community and they were drawn to it Every day, God added to their number those who were being saved. And the Christians welcomed them into their community and into their family. Christians should be known for their love and hospitality. The church, after all, isn't a museum that displays perfect people. It's a hospital that welcomes us when we're broken when we're hurt and wounded and loves us back to life. This unconditional love helps break down barriers. It puts people back on their feet. It renews and restores. It heals. The early Christians devoted themselves to the Lord and to a distinctive way of life. They gathered together regularly. They worshiped God faithfully and structured their lives around the worship of God. They loved God and loved one another deeply. They welcomed others joyfully. God calls us to do the same. That's the core of our spiritual heritage. It's who we are and who we're called to be. And these qualities should define our lives individually and together 
as a community. As they do, God works wonders among us. People are drawn to that kind of community, to that kind of love. And it shines like a beacon of hope in a dark and hurting and broken world. It's not that we have all the answers. It's not that we have it all together. It's that our North Star is Jesus Christ. And he is our focal point. And he is where we're headed. And so like the early disciples, with these qualities defining our life, we see God work. And with glad and and sincere hearts, we can praise God who fills us with joy and with all his blessings. But the choice is ours to make. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis talks about the power of choice. And he says, every time you make a choice, you're turning the central part of you, the part of you that chooses, into something a little different from what it was before. And he goes on to say, taking your life as a whole, with all your innumerable choices, all your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing into a heavenly creature or a hellish one. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures and with itself, or else into one that is in a state of war with God and with others. To be the one kind of creature is joy and peace. To be the other means madness, rage, and eternal loneliness. And then C.S. Lewis says this, each of us at each moment is progressing to the one state or the other. So we have a choice to make. Our choices have power to shape our desires, who we are and who we are becoming. There's a song we sing sometimes in our 9 a.m. worship, our traditional worship upstairs. We sang it this morning. It's called Trust and Obey. And it includes these words. We never can prove the delights of God's love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows, for the joy he bestows, are for them who will trust and obey. Trust and obey. Jesus offers us life in all its fullness, and he gave everything to give us that. What he asks for from us in return is that we would offer ourselves to him, that we would lay on the altar all that we are, all that we have, our failures and disappointments, our past, our hopes and dreams for the future, our present struggles or circumstances, our resources, our passions, our relationships, all that we are, all that we have on the altar as an offering to Jesus Christ. We have a small altar over here in the corner.
Here's my calendar. I'm one of the old-fashioned people who uses a daily planner, lost without it. And here's my watch. And I'm laying them on the altar, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Here's my wallet, representing my resources and possessions. I'm laying that on the altar because I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. And for me, this is the really difficult one. Here's my phone. This is how I communicate with people. It, it represents my world, basically. Sometimes I get too attached to it, and Molly gives me a gentle reminder, and I say, thank you, dear. <laughs> but you may know what it's like to have a phone with this kind of technological capability, and this is just sort of a standard phone, nothing fancy, means you're in control. And I, I have this with me almost all the time, largely because I like to be in control. <laughs> and this makes me feel like I'm in control. I'm laying that on the altar because I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Here's what I know. The song I mentioned a moment ago gets it right. We never can prove the delights of God's love until all on the altar we lay. For the favor he shows, for the joy he bestows are for them who will trust and obey. The decision to follow Jesus is a daily decision. I think you could even say it's a moment-by-moment -moment choice and commitment. Our ancestors in the faith teach us that, too. And give yourself fully to Christ is what I think they would tell us. It's what I need to hear each day. It's what I want to share with you today. Devote yourself fully to Christ. And as you do, then you can really live. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the faithful people in our lives who have gone before us. We have so much to learn from them. Help us, Lord, in our day to be faithful. And in the midst of, of all the uncertainty swirling around us or maybe even within us, the challenges we face, the strife, in our families and in our communities and world. Lord, would you breathe new life? Would you deepen our roots in you and in your truth and grace so that what was true of so many who have gone before us would also be true of us? They devoted themselves to the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name, and as he taught us now, we pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Make us our sins.